the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, the Bible everywhere celebrates heterosexual monogamous marriage between one man and one woman in covenant before God and man till death do us part. That's God's way. Any other way is not God's way. I am certainly old enough to remember a time when a statement like that would not be so politically controversial. How about you? Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. He is continuing his study, uh, verse by verse, in the book of Colossians. And if you've missed any of these messages, you can find them on their website at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Just click on the Messages tab there on the homepage. Again, that's highlands.us. Now, before we go through our passage today, beginning at verse 5, verse by verse, I'd like to read the uh, passage in context so that we'll understand the context. I'm going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the portion that we studied when last we were together. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So now we turn from the positive to the negative. Some people don't like to talk about the negative, but it's necessary. We not only talk about the negative, we take care of the negative. We can talk about having a beautiful garden. We can talk about the necessary preparations for making it beautiful, like weeding, but we've got to get in and weed the garden if it's going to be a beautiful garden. There can be no holiness, beauty, or maturity in a life where sin runs unchecked. We have died to sin's penalty, but sin's power is still influential within us, our, our members, and so we must continuously put sin to death by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now with that as an introduction, let's begin our study of the passage verse by verse at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul in Colossians declares we are either dead in sin or we are dead to sin. We're either dead in sin or we are dead to sin. But we are a work in progress, which explains the need for this command to put to death our earthly nature and to rid ourselves of such things. Put to death means to destroy and do away with completely. And because we have died with Christ, we have the spiritual power to destroy, to, to, to slay the earthly desires that want to control us. And what Paul is saying here is, put to death every part of yourself which is against God. 
and keeps you from fulfilling his will. It's along the same lines of thought as we find in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And a similar line of thought is Jesus demanded that we should cut off a hand or foot or tear out an eye if it's leading us into sin. Now they're not speaking of literal surgery because the sin doesn't come from the hand or the eye or the foot, but it comes from the heart. And so Paul goes on to list some of the things that we must cut off out of this new life. And these, uh, these are personal sins that relates to our feelings. So Paul here progresses step by step backward from the act itself to the underlying motive. The act, immorality, uh, takes place because of impurity. And impurity takes place because of perverted passion and evil desire, which come from greed and covetousness. These sins belong to the old life, not the new life, the new life we have in Christ. He says, put to death sexual immorality. The word here in the original language is pornea, from which we get the term pornographic, which describes any illegal, ungodly sexual activity. The King James Version translates this word fornication. And it includes not only participation in, but also being an audience to such activity. Now, sexual desire has been hardwired into us as humans, but like anything else, if it's not used God's way, it is used for evil. And then he says, put to death impurity. Because acts begin with thoughts, and the battle against all sin begins in the mind. Jesus said, do not even look upon a woman with lust. Now, this concept of chastity was something that was uh, rather new to the ancient world because in the ancient world, sexual activity before, during, outside of, after marriage were normal and accepted practices. And the appetite was regarded as something to be gratified, not control. And that is an attitude that is pervasive in our communities today. Now the warning here is not against sex, but against sexual perversion. And some people might wonder where that line is. Well, the Bible everywhere celebrates heterosexual monogamous marriage, marriage as defined by God, between one man and one woman in covenant before God and man till death do us part. That's God's plan. That's God's way. Any other way is not God's way. It's sinful. And then he says to put to death passion and evil desire. There are kinds of people who are uh, slaves of passion and driven by desire for wrong things. Uh, this describes a person who cultivates an appetite. Dr. J. Vernon McGee tells a story to illustrate it. He says, it's like a little boy whose mama called to him one night when she heard him in the kitchen. Mom said, where are you? He said, I'm in the pantry. He had the cookie jar open. She called, what are you doing? He answered, I'm fighting temptation. My friend, that's the wrong place to fight temptation. Don't fight it there at the cookie jar if you're not supposed to have cookies. The same thing applies to inordinate affection. The story was told of a pastor of a small community who uh, one Sunday led the town drunk to Jesus. And, and the pastor and the church folk were, were convinced that this profession of faith was sincere and they were perplexed when next week the man showed up at church drunk again. And so the pastor talked to the man after service and asked him why, why he was not sober. And the man told him that, well, when he started towards church, he was sober. But 
as he walked by the old bar and he heard the old friends inside, he just wanted to step in for a moment and say hello to his old friends. And uh, it lasted more than a few minutes and involved more than conversation. By the time he got out of the bar on his way to church, he was drunk again. And the pastor suggested that the man needs to find a new way to walk to church, a path that won't take him near the front doors of his old friends. You know, if there's a besetting sin in our lives, we need to make sure that we don't play around near that besetting sin. You see, sin occurs when appetite and opportunity come together. If there's an appetite, but there's no opportunity, there's going to be no sin. If there's an opportunity, but there's no appetite, there's going to be no sin. But if there's appetite and opportunity and they come together, we're going to fail. And so if we cannot manage the appetite, we need to manage the opportunity. And then he talks about covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is um, always wanting more. And it's mentioned last because it's the root from which these other sins spring. It means to want to have more. And and it's described by the ancient Greeks as taking a bowl and trying to fill it with water. Fill the bowl with water, but there's a hole in the bowl. Can you ever fill a bowl with water that has a hole in it? It's never satisfied. It always is taking more water because the water is leaking out. A covetous person is never satisfied with what they have. The tenth of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. And oftentimes it's breaking this covenant that leads to breaking the other covenants, stealing and killing and so forth. In some people there is this appetite that's never satiated for prosperity or power or prestige. The essence of idolatry is a desire to get. The reason a person in the middle of the jungle sets up some stones or some sticks and worships those stones or sticks is because they expect to get something out of those stones or sticks. According to Dr. Mool, idolatry is an attempt to use God for man's purposes rather than to give oneself to God's service. A lust for worldly stuff removes God from the center of our lives. As Jesus said it, we cannot serve both God and mammon. We can only serve one or the other. The antidote for covetousness is contentment. And the good news is that contentment can be learned. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And he learned this contentment because he learned to trust God. That God does all things well, that God was leading, providing, protecting, and if there was going through a difficult time, it's because it was part of God's plan. It continues in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is a reference to God's judgment because God has a perfect moral nature and cannot permit sin and wickedness to go unpunished. This is the wrath of God. This is wrath that is caused by God. Now, when we hear the word wrath, we, we're, it's translated in some translations, anger, and when we hear the word anger, we think in terms of an irrational emotional reaction. But that does not accurately describe God's wrath. God is very patient in waiting with us so we figure out what He, what he wants and do, and do it His way. But He does draw a line, and if we cross the line, we come under God's wrath. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. I want you to notice it's in past tense. 
you once walked. It was in the past. Walked indicates a lifestyle or pattern of living. We naturally pattern ourselves uh, based on the environment that we grow up in. We adopt standards, values, and ways of thinking from our family and our community and so forth. And, 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 and those of us who now know the Lord at one time practiced these sins in our lives. But we should be able to say and speak of them in the past tense. These, it was a lifestyle before Christ. Some people have some pretty dramatic testimonies, and before Christ was different than, well, maybe others who just sort of eased into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Regardless of what your situation is, where you've come from, it was before Christ, and your life should be changed. You're listening to a message from Pastor Leighton Sheely. He is the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. If you're new to this broadcast, you can find them on the web at highlands.us. They have multiple services across the weekend, and you can find all those details at highlands.us. This is also a nonprofit outreach, and you can give securely. Join with us as a financial partner at Study Verse by Verse. I'm Mike Trout. As always, thank you for joining us and come back tomorrow when we'll once again open the Word of God and study with Pastor Leighton Sheely verse by verse.